you don't. You're not coming in here, Bizarro. Bizarro? Uh, me not Bizarro. Me mild-mannered reporter named Not Bizarro. For the last time, we all know it's you. Hey, Not Bizarro. Looking good. Everyone but Jimmy knows it's you. You're listening to Superman or Else, and this is episode number five, The Mirror Crack. Welcome to Superman or Else, the podcast in which I'm talking about post-crisis Superman comics. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and if I could have just one of Superman's powers, I think it would be his invulnerability. I mean, I think if I was impervious to harm like he is, I may be less of a coward in life. Too much information? Maybe. I'm not going to try to let it bother me, however, because today... We begin the penultimate chapter of the Superman post-crisis reboot with issue number five of The Man of Steel. This issue hit the stands on September 11th, 1986. It sold for just 75 cents, and the title of the story is The Mirror Cracked. It was written by John Byrne, penciled by John Byrne, inks by Dick Giordano, letters by John Costanza, and the colors were by Tom Zuko. LexCorp scientist Dr. Tang has created a duplicate of Superman using data collected by sensors within Luther's office. His data shows that Superman is not human or a mutant and must be an alien, a revelation he shares with his employer. Because Superman's cells are alien, the duplication process fails and the creature created takes on a bizarre appearance. After Luther orders the creature removed from his sight, it begins assuming Superman's duties. Duties. <laughs> it possesses his power and memories, but doesn't appear capable of speech. The creature stops a suicide attempt by Lucy Lane, who is now blind after an accident caused her to lose her sight. When the creature shows up at the Daily Planet in Clark Kent's clothes, the real Superman rushes to meet the creature before his identity is exposed. What's all this in? Superman and the creature then fight it out on the streets of Metropolis. The creature eventually sacrifices itself when it realizes that a chemical byproduct of its creation is responsible for restoring Lucy's sight. When the creature is destroyed, the fallout of its body particles complete the process, restoring Lucy's vision. That synopsis comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics, at mikesamazingworld.com. So, comics! This story features the only post-crisis appearance of the original post-crisis Bizarro. There is another version of Bizarro that shows up sometime later, which maybe we'll get into on this show. Who knows how long that will take before we get to that point. But right now, this is the very first Bizarro that appeared post-crisis. And, uh... It's also the final appearance of the very first Bizarro. So if we start with the cover, like we normally do, we get, as with all the others, on the left side, a scene from within the book in which Bizarro Superman is punching regular Superman in the face. And then on the right side, we get the character or the new character that will appear in this issue, which in this case happens to be Bizarro. And Byrne has actually depicted Bizarro walking away from us. So we see Bizarro from the back. We don't see his face at all on this cover. And everyone else on all six of these issues that has been featured on the right side, and we'll see it again next episode with issue number six, but all those other characters 
from issues one through four and on issue six, have been facing the camera. In this one, Bizarro has his back turned to the camera, is walking away, and that is supposed to, I suppose, play a bit of that homage to the fact that Bizarro from previous issues before the crisis was the opposite of Superman. So it did everything in the opposite way Superman would. If Superman was walking toward the camera, Bizarro would have to walk away from the camera. Now, before we get into this issue, I kind of want to talk a little bit about Bizarro. I don't know a lot about Bizarro, but I think I know enough to to speak on him here for a bit. From what I understand, he comes from an from another world, whether it's another planet or an alternate universe in which everything is backwards. He does appear to have kind of like a crystalline structure makeup of his body, at least in some depictions. In other depictions, he's just a very weird-looking, white-skinned version of Superman. And in other versions, he is, like I said, almost crystalline. He's white. He's a weird version of Superman. And his S on his chest is backwards. Everything he does and says is backwards. It's the opposite of what a normal person or what Superman would say or do. So whereas Superman might say, Lois, I'm very pleased to meet you. Bizarro would say, Lois, me am very unhappy to see you, which I've never really liked Bizarro all that much. I think Bizarro has its place in Superman history, just like characters like Mixie's Pitlick. They're rather silly. Though I do know that Bizarro can be depicted as a very seriously dangerous foe for Superman. But my most of my experience or most of my exposure to the character was through the Super Friends. Whenever Bizarro would show up there as, I think he was a member of the Legion of Doom. The awesome Bizarro. But it's been a while. I may have to go back and start watching all that stuff. Anyway... This version of Bizarro is quite a bit different. They don't ever refer to him as Bizarro in this entire issue. And he is a product of genetic manipulation, a failed experiment of a scientist that works for Lex Luthor, who Lex puts in charge of trying to clone Superman, basically a Superman that has all the memories and intellect of Superman, but a Superman that would work for Lex and be loyal to Lex. That's that's what we got going on here. So we also get something on this issue uh, on the front cover that says the beast within, which for a moment there I thought was new to these covers. I just haven't noticed, I guess, the uh, the little subtitles on all the covers so far. So for example, issue one says it's it's right above the the title the big S shield that says the man of steel in issue one, it says the comics event of the century issue two says introducing Lois Lane issue three says face to face with the dark Knight. issue four says Lex Luthor strikes. And then here with issue number five, it says the beast within, and we'll talk about what it says with issue number six on that cover. When we get to issue number six, okay. No, 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 wait, it's all about comics. <laughs> so let's get into the comic book itself. It opens with a wonderful splash page of Superman holding up an armored foe in one hand. The armored foe has his back to us, the reader, so we can't see the guy's face. But he is in this green and purple armored bodysuit thing that for folks who have never read this issue but know a lot about Superman and his 
arch foe. Lex Luthor. Would assume, just like I did the first time reading this, that this armored foe is Lex Luthor because this is the battle armor we've seen him wear in many comic books and animated shows and, and, and whatnot. But when we flip to the second page, we see that we're in Lex Luthor's office in his Hong Kong offices. And the, the guy that Superman's holding up is just some nameless thug who had been sent to kill Superman. Well, Superman has captured him and he's brought him to Lex and is telling him, ha ha, now I have the evidence I need to lock you up for a long time. And Lex, of course, being Lex, who's a very savvy businessman, who is a very, very intelligent man, unlike Donald Trump, who he is, <laughs> he is patterned after. He, uh, he pushes back on Superman and he's, he's like, well, why do you think that this has anything to do with me? And Superman says, well, uh, let's look at the fact that every single component of this battle suit came from a LexCorp company. And the goon inside the armor is carrying a LexCorp ID. Very sloppy is what he's saying. Actually, what he says, like I said, sloppy. And Lex defends himself and he tells Superman that if he were to check the records of all of those companies where the various components came from, then he'll find that those components were reported stolen. Not only that, he would see that this man, the guy inside the armor, was actually fired weeks ago. And Superman fires back that computer records can be faked. And let's just see what this guy says when he regains consciousness. So obviously the guy is unconscious. Superman beat him up until he passed out. But Lex tells him that when the guy wakes up, he's probably going to act a little Looney Tunes because they were developing this suit for NASA to be used up on the moon base. And there is a psionic control interface within the suit. And they discovered that it was unstable and that anyone who wears the suit for more than an hour was turned into a complete vegetable. And that this guy who stole this armor and put it on to go fight Superman, obviously didn't know that. So yeah, Lex says, Superman, you've come all the way to Hong Kong for nothing. There's no way you can connect this latest attack on your person with me. And now, if you'll be so kind as to excuse me, I am very busy. And Superman, he knows when he's been beat, so he leaves. But he tells Lex before he does so that, that he's, he's going to get him. Lex will slip up at some point, and Superman will get him. And your little dog, too. Lex leaves his office, and he goes down into a secret laboratory where he meets Dr. Ting, who is developing something for Lex. We discover it's this clone of Superman, but not a biological clone. That's something we kind of learn later in the issue. Superman, when he uses his text telescopic slash X-ray supervision, learns that the molecules that make up Bizarro are manufactured, that it's inorganic matter that basically Bizarro is an android, one step up from being a robot. And so Dr. Tang has been developing this android for Lex, and it's actually in its final stages. And we learned that this attempt on Superman's life by this man using the LexCorp armor was not merely an attempt on Superman's life. It was meant to fail. It was meant to bring Superman into the office to confront Lex because as Superman was there, 
Sensors hidden throughout the office scanned every part of Superman's cellular and molecular structure, and that data was fed into this matrix where this body that they manufactured has been waiting, and now that it's all there, this android thing will come to life. But Dr. Ting tells him that he doesn't think it's going to be quite the success that they were hoping for because one of the things he's learned just within these last few minutes uh, is that they have built this creature based on the assumption that Superman is human, well, a mutated human being. But the data collected by the sensors show that he's not human, that he is an alien, and Dr. Ting believes that Superman is not only not native to the planet, but not even to our star system, and that he is an alien being from far off into space. Lex not only accepts this new information about Superman, he it all makes sense to him. It's like little puzzle pieces are falling into place. Of course, he says, it all fits. There's no other rational explanation for his powers. But like Dr. Ting is trying to explain to him, because the body of this creature was built based on the assumption that Superman was human, now that they know that Superman was not human, they didn't account for that. And so they may have some problems here. And sure enough, the Matrix opens up. The Superman clone steps out. Lex is on the moon. He's perfect, perfect. But then the Superman clone falls over and collapses. And Lex, of course, blames Dr. Ting. And Dr. Ting's like, look, I did exactly what you told me to do. We didn't know he was an alien. So it's not really my fault. And Lex is, you know, Lex is a American corporation, billionaire, head honcho guy. And guys like that, they don't want excuses. And as far as he's concerned, the project failed. And <laughs> that's certainly not Lex's fault. Somebody has to be at fault, basically. Guys like that don't accept, ah, I see what you're saying here. There's no way we could have accounted for that. That's all right. Let's give it another try. No, instead, he kind of chews out Tang and tells him to dispose of the body. And Tang points out that the genetic makeup of this clone, the skin and whatnot, is already starting to crystallize. We also, I should mention, that this is the first point so far in, in post-crisis Superman that anybody, other than, of course, Superman's parents, and I mean his Kryptonian parents, nobody has realized that Superman is an alien. Even Clark and Jonathan and Martha, his adopted parents, they assume that he is human that was sent up into space and was mutated in some fashion and then crash landed back to earth when they were a baby. They don't they don't even I think in the in the first issue they I think Jonathan may bring up the fact that it could be an alien and Martha shoots him down uh, as being just a silly thing to even think about. And so as we leave Lex and Dr. Tang, Lex is chewing the good doctor out. He says, "I don't want excuses, Ting. I wanted a duplicate Superman, one with all his powers, all his memories." but one that worked for me. I certainly did not want this bizarre, oh, forget it, destroy the thing before anyone else sees it. And then he goes back to Metropolis. So this is the only moment within the issue, I believe, that this weird version of Superman is referred to as bizarre, which is fairly close to bizarro. That's the closest we get to this creature being called bizarro. Missed it by that much. Meanwhile, we go to Metropolis. We're in the apartment of... Lois Lane, she's with her sister, Lucy, who is blind. We learn that she hasn't always been blind. It, it appears to be 
I guess somewhat recently that there was some sort of accident that caused these chemicals to get into her eyes that caused her blindness. She is, of course, very depressed about that. She's wearing sunglasses in the house because she fears that, you know, with some folks who are blind, they their eyes look a little different. And she's very self-conscious about that. So she wears the sunglasses so nobody can see her eyes. Lois tries to tell her that that's not the case. Her eyes look just like they always have, but Lucy doesn't believe her. But Lucy wants to she wants to be alone and she wants Lois to, to go to work. And so she pretends to accept what Lois is telling her. She takes the sunglasses off and she says, see, look, I'm happy already. And I'm going to occupy myself practicing on my Braille books. So you go on to work and Lois does so. Lois, by the way, is wearing a one piece bodysuit with, you know, long pant legs and long sleeves. Very, very 80s. It's you know, it's kind of puffy around the shoulders and belted tight around the waist. It's very 80s. I love it. I love it so much. But after Lois leaves, we see Lucy sitting on a chair with her head in her hands, and she's obviously still very depressed. We then get to an ambulance that is racing toward the hospital, but it gets a flat tire. The EMTs, one of them jumps out to change the tire, but before he can, Superman comes swooping out of the sky, lands behind the ambulance, lifts it up over his head, and flies away with the ambulance, taking it to the hospital, dropping it off in front of the emergency entrance. And the EMT jumps out of the ambulance to thank Superman. But as soon as he sees Superman's face, which we don't, this entire scene, we only see Superman from the back or his face and head is in shadow. So we never see his face. We never see the color of his skin. Well, that's not true. We do see a bit of it. And whoever colored this version that I'm looking at now obviously failed to do what they were supposed to because there's a moment, there's a panel when the EMT comes up to Superman to tell him thank you. He goes, you're gulp. And we can see Superman's neck is white, but we also see his part of his hand and it's regular fleshy white, the white man, not a... The color white? Is white a color? I don't know. You know what I'm saying. White devil. (laughs) Anyway, we get another panel here where we see the back of Superman's neck again, and it is your pale flesh white devil color and not white bizarro crayon white color. I'm being very confusing, and I'm not doing that on purpose. Anyway, they go, you're not Superman, and the EMTs run away. You're some kind of monster. Run for it. And we see... This Superman, we still don't see his face, but we can see his a very blurry, shadowy reflection as it looks at itself in the window of this ambulance and then flies away. We go back to Lois's apartment. Lucy is sitting on the balcony, but at the edge of the balcony on, on, the, on the wall with her legs dangling over the edge. She's obviously up in a big skyscraper. And we learn that she used to be a flight attendant and she's telling herself that she's never going to be able to do that again because she can't see and she's not interested in doing anything else. And so she jumps from the balcony calling out, forgive me, Lois, but Superman is there, catches her, takes her back up, drops her off at the balcony the whole time, not saying anything. We never see his face. And again, his skin is covered like a regular white man's skin not a bizarro, crystalline, white, snow-like skin. Lucy makes comment on the fact she assumes it's Superman, even though she can't see him. I mean, who else is going to catch her in midair and fly her back up to her balcony? 
She says that uh, her sister has told her about him a bunch of times. She comments on the fact that he's not talking. Why don't you say something? You just stopped me from killing myself. Aren't you going to lecture me or something? And then she notices that his skin feels very strange and dusty. And then this version of Superman flies away. We go to the Daily Planet. Clark Kent is sitting on a desk, writing on a piece of paper. He's got his hair slicked back in Clark Kent fashion. His tie is loose around his neck. He's wearing a black button-up shirt, and his sleeves are rolled up to his elbows. And Lois comes in and says, Greetings, wage slaves. What's the news? And Clark's response is a big sigh. And he says, it would be news if you came in one morning and didn't say that, Lois. And so he and Lois talk for a little bit. And then Jimmy comes in and he asks them if they've seen the latest news, that that somebody has busted through the front window of a men's clothing store down on Bleecker and basically smashed a couple thousand dollars worth of glass to steal a hundred dollar suit. And if that's not weird enough, there was a jewelry store right next door with over $50,000 in precious stones just sitting in the window that the thief did not touch. As Jimmy is talking, Clark's super hearing detects a scream from down in the lobby, and he uses his x-ray vision to look down there. And he sees somebody in, well, he's in a suit, but underneath his suit jacket is a red cape sticking out from underneath, and you can see his red boots. And so Clark, finding that very odd, He gets up and he grabs his jacket and he tells Lois and Jimmy that he's going to go follow up on that story. Thanks for the tip, Jimmy. And Jimmy's kind of confused because he doesn't consider it a real story. He configures it just some dumb little thing that happened. But Lois, on the other hand, she says, if Clark Kent wants a piece of it, meaning the story, so do I. So she runs out into the hallway to find that Clark is not there because he is racing down the stairs at super speed and changing out of his civilian clothes and into his Superman costume. And it doesn't look, just based on this one panel, it doesn't look as if, despite the front cover to issue number one, both the variant and the regular cover, he doesn't wear his Superman costume underneath his regular clothes. Or at least if he does, I don't know. I don't know if this is a a coloring error because, at, at, you know, basically the, the artist, John Byrne, drew a bunch of figures of Clark Kent running down this spiral staircase, or not, not really a spiral, but it's, it's, you know, it's a stairwell in a building. You know what those look like. And in each figure, he is undoing his shirt. He opens his shirt up. He, he pulls his shirt off, and he is completely bare-chested. From the, from the waist up, he is in his skin. And then, oh, I guess, no, he's in the very next figure. He's pulling on his Superman shirt. He pulls his pants off, and it appears that he has his trunks and his Superman pants on underneath his regular suit pants. And then he pulls his cape on. So I have no idea where he keeps his Superman shirt and his Superman cape while he is in his civilian garb, but it's not necessarily, he's not wearing them with his suit, his his button-up shirt on. Overneath, I do know overneath. I don't think that's I don't think that's the right word. I do know that there is at some point, I believe, if I remember correctly, during this John Byrne run, that they mentioned that his cape. Maybe it was even in the first issue. I, I don't remember now. Correct. Let me know if you guys remember. But 
there, there's mention of a, of a pocket on the inside of his cape, which is where he stores his civilian clothes when he's Superman, which just seems completely stupid and bulky. And, but then everything about a superhero who wears his costume underneath his clothes is, is typically, especially a superhero with a cape, it just would be too bulky. And in this case, apparently Superman just keeps his shirt and his cape in some kind of alternate pocket dimension that he reaches into and grabs when he changes into Superman. Anyway, he goes down to the lobby and he finds this guy who's wearing basically the Superman costume with a pair of pants and a suit jacket pulled on over them so that his cape comes out from under the suit jacket. And as Superman walks up to him, this guy is holding a pair of sunglasses and he's popping the lenses out of them. We can see now that his skin is chalk white and Superman goes to to tap him on the shoulder and he says, okay, fella, maybe you'd like to explain. And then the guy turns around and it's Clark with white chalky skin, chalk white skin. His hair is all messed up. And he's putting on these sunglasses without the lenses, so he looks more like Clark. He's, he's assuming his Clark Kent identity, and Superman says, great, Scott! And then he realizes, holy crap, this is a guy that looks like me. He's dressed as me, both as Superman and Clark Kent. And despite the fact that he's got chalky white skin, people are going to put something together, right? They're going to notice that. And so he grabs Bizarro by the arm, and he tells him, you know, you're, you're coming with me. But Bizarro just pops him a fresh one in the chin. And that knocks Superman out of the building and into a bus, right through, right through the wall of the building and through the wall of a bus. Bizarro Superman comes out of the Daily Planet lobby. He's still wearing the suit jacket and suit pants with his Superman costume on underneath. Superman goes to confront him, flying at him, but Bizarro uses his heat vision to knock Superman to the ground. And they start getting into it. They start fighting. Lois comes out at that point, and it's it, it's at that point that Superman realizes, all right, look, I've got to do something about this because, again, this guy's wearing glasses. He's dressed as both Clark Kent and Superman at the same time, and Lois is, she's got a brilliant mind. She's going to be able to put that together. She's going to look at that, and she's going to realize, wait a minute, Superman, Clark Kent, they're one and the same? So he uses his heat vision to burn the suit pants and the suit jacket and the glasses off of Bizarro, leaving Bizarro in his Superman costume, which now is suddenly much darker. I'm assuming that means it's because it was scorched by Superman's heat vision. So the, the blue is a much darker blue. The red is a much darker red. The guy's hair is even shorter. It's almost like a bowl cut at this point. I don't know if that was because of the heat vision or just now suddenly how John Byrne is drawing Bizarro. Uh, his cape is also singed and about half the length of the Superman cape because it's been burned off at the bottom. But Lois comes running up and she's like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Who is this man? And Bizarro, seeing Lois, immediately grabs her, picks her up, and swoops off into the sky. Superman then realizes that this Bizarro creature must have his own memories and feelings. And if so, that's why he snatched up Lois because in his mind, he's in love with Lois Lane, and so he must be with her. And as he's flying through the sky with Lois and his hairstyle changes uh, two or three times throughout these various panels as far as the length of his hair, Lois is trying to talk to Bizarro, but Bizarro just gives her a big old smooch and then flies her up to the apartment where Lucy is there waiting. And we learn that Lucy can now 
see a bit better. She's she's no longer blind. Everything is is kind of fuzzy and blurry, but her vision is is cleared enough that she recognizes both quote unquote Superman and Lois. She tells Lois that her vision started to clear just after Superman left. Lois is of course very shocked by this. Superman, he was here. Lucy, what's going on? Lucy tells her, I don't know. It's all too crazy, but this man, he was here. And after he left, I started to see shapes, shadows. And then Superman is there coming over the wall of the balcony. He tells Lois and Lucy to step away. And then he and Bizarro start tussling some more. And Bizarro is really handing Superman his ass. And Superman, at one point, he is pulling himself from some rubble on the street because they were up in the air up by Lois's apartment and Bizarro threw Superman into the ground. And Superman realizes that he's never at this point gone up against anybody who was even close to being as powerful as he is. And he's been used to pulling his punches when he's been fighting other people because he doesn't, he doesn't want to hurt anybody, but his doppelganger has, you know, he's just as strong as Superman is. And so he realizes he's going to have to really take the fight to this guy. And he notices that he's got some of the dust that has been coming off of the bizarro creature. He's got some of it on his, on his, on his arm. And so he starts looking at it with his microscopic vision. I think I said telescopic slash x-ray vision earlier, but it's his microscopic vision. And that's when he says, hello, it's not organic. It has the necessary components to mimic living cells, but it's not alive. And that means our ugly friend is some kind of android, an artificial being just one step ahead of a robot, which means he doesn't have to pull back. He doesn't have to worry about killing this creature because the creature's not alive. You know, they make a point of saying that it's not alive, which allows Superman to just go full tilt at Bizarro. And so Superman starts flying up to Bizarro and Bizarro starts flying down towards Superman and they both ram into each other at full speed. And there's this big shoom, this one panel of just the word shoom with an explosion coming out of it. And suddenly it's snowing all over Lois and Lucy. And the snow are these, is this dust, this white dust that used to be Bizarro Superman. And as these, as this white powder, white powdery substance falls all around Lois and Lucy, Lucy's sight comes back completely. She can see clearly just the way she could before she was blinded by whatever chemical blinded her. She doesn't understand why it's happening or how it happened. And Superman comes swooping in and he says, I think I can guess, Lois. I overheard what Lucy said earlier about her vision being partially restored after contact with that creature. I think that must have been caused by exposure to some of the dust from its body. Somehow it counteracted the chemicals that originally caused her blindness. Shattering the thing's unliving body created enough of the dust to cure her. And, uh, you know, again, they have to mention that he shattered the thing's unliving body. They're really kind of nailing that point home. Don't worry, folks. Superman did not kill somebody here. The thing was not alive. And... Lucy's just like, oh my gosh, Superman, you knew that, didn't you? You knew that when you risked your life to destroy him, that that by doing so, I would be cured. And Superman being Superman, he admits that no, he, he had no idea. He had no clue. He didn't think about that at all. But he thinks somehow Bizarro Superman did know that. And that's how the issue ends. So we're left with the belief that maybe 
Bizarro Superman understood that there was something about his chemical makeup, this dust, the stem cells or whatever that was coming off of him that was making, you know, curing Lucy's blindness. And so it sacrificed itself to fully restore Lucy's sight. I rather enjoyed this issue. So far, uh, all these issues have been really good or at least been really fun. This, uh, I don't know if I would consider it my favorite issue of the series so far. I think one of the things that I dislike about it are the fact that I really like this idea of this bizarro Superman, the way it was created by man through a uh, a failure in cloning or um, you know, a cross between cloning and manufacturing of an android. And because they didn't quite get everything right, because they didn't know that Superman was an alien, it failed. And I, I, I know I said earlier that I've never really liked the idea of Bizarro. I've got kind of a love-hate relationship with Bizarro. I think in general, when I think of Superman and all of his foes, I think Bizarro can be really fun and deadly serious at the same time. But when I think of like Silver Age stories or the stuff that happened in like the Super Friends and whatnot, sometimes I think Bizarro can be used as as more of a just a over-the-top silly character that depending on my mood, I may not be into at the time. And so the idea that they were going to introduce this new version of, of Bizarro into the world, into post-crisis Superman, that was based more in science and wasn't just part of a, a race of beings from another dimension where everything is backwards, which I'm sorry, folks, but I needed to break in here because I found out that everything I had said about Bizarro just now, pre-crisis Bizarro, was totally wrong. Bizarro was not from another dimension, and though he eventually did live on a cube-shaped planet of Bizarro's, it just wasn't in its own parallel universe. So since I'm here, let me give you a quick and dirty rundown of the pre-crisis Bizarro. Bizarro made his first comic book appearance in Superman number 68 from August of 1958. This was a Bizarro version of Superboy, and he was created by a scientist, Professor Dalton, who invented a duplicator ray and used it on Superboy. Dalton's invention, however, was a piece of crap. And so rather than creating a perfect duplicate of Superboy, it creates Bizarro Superboy, who is dead by the end of the issue. At the same time, an adult version of Bizarro makes his first appearance over in the newspaper strips, and it's here that he's given his strange way of talking, you know, in opposites, that we still see him use today. However, the newspaper strip Bizarro wore a costume with a B on his chest, not an S. Another adult Bizarro then appears in Action Comics number 254 from May of 1959, and this one did have the S on his chest. This Bizarro, referred to as Bizarro number one, was created by the very same duplicator ray that created Bizarro Superboy, but this time it had been used by Lex Luthor. Eventually, Bizarro number one hooks up with the Bizarro Lois Lane gets a hold of Professor Dalton's duplicator ray, and somehow manages to create or find a square Earth off in space somewhere where he inhabits it with bizarro duplicates of people from Earth. So yeah, that part I had right. I was just thinking that this bizarro Earth was in a different universe when it was actually not. But now I know. 
And uh, so do you. Back to the show. That's the thing about Bizarro that that always got on my nerves was this whole, the, the, the he has to do everything the opposite. So instead of saying hello, when he walks into a room, he says goodbye. And when he leaves a room, he says hello. But they could go totally over the top with this whole opposite thing and have him, you know, walk through a door backwards saying goodbye. And instead of hugging someone, he knocks them down. You know, they, they, they don't tend to go over the top with that. But because I have kind of this literal mind, because I'm a neurodivergent type person, when they have a character that's supposed to do everything opposite of what a normal or what a, you know, the natural order would be, I expect them to do everything opposite. You know, instead of drinking, they throw up. Or instead of eating, they throw up. Instead of, you know, I could get really gross here, but they don't take it to that level. And so there's part of me that's like, all right, this whole opposite thing is ridiculous and it gets on my nerves. But the fact that they're not taking it to the level that it really technically should be, if you really truly want to be opposite, that gets on my nerves as well. Though if they did take it to that level, I would hate it even more. It's just such a conflict that just bombards my head whenever I come across Bizarro. My brain hurts. I can't think of any stories off the top of my head where I feel like they've done Bizarro right, but I know they exist. I feel like I've read them. So I'm not saying that Bizarro is a terrible character and that he should never be part of the Superman lore. I'm just saying there are times when I find Bizarro super annoying And there are times when I find the idea that Bizarro comes from this alternate world where everything is backwards and everything is the opposite. I think sometimes that works and sometimes it's just dumb. I think when they try to play it serious, but I don't know, it's that you got, you, you walk kind of a fine line with Bizarro. You can do all that crazy, silly stuff and have a good time with it and have it be a fun story. And there are other times when you can do it as if, You're not trying to be silly, but it comes off as silly, and that's when it gets annoying. But the idea that they were going to introduce this new Bizarro that was based in science, that was, you know, the reason why he was, he looked different than Superman and acted different uh, was because of this neurological genetic mix-up mutation. I really liked that. And then by the end of the issue, he's dead. And that's what really annoys me about this issue. It's Part of a six-issue miniseries that is supposed to reboot the character, retell his origin, place him into this post-crisis world of the DC universe, and they spend one issue introducing what is one of Superman's big rogues gallery characters. You know, you got characters like Lex Luthor and Parasite, but you you know when you think of those main bad guys for Superman, Bizarro is one of them. And so they introduce him into this world only to kill him off by the end of the issue. And I don't understand the point. I don't understand the point of this issue other than just here's a quick little adventure uh, to help establish Superman, I guess, in this post-crisis world to show you that the idea of Bizarro, we're not we're not doing that in the post-crisis. Bizarro's dead. I think that's kind of the point they're trying to make here is that don't expect Bizarro to really show up in this post-crisis world. Don't expect characters like, Mixie's Piddleck because it's not going to happen. It does happen eventually, but at this point, no, it's not going to happen. And I think that's really what John Byrne was trying to say with this story was, if you like some of this Silver Age silliness, just get it out of your mind because we're not doing it here. And 
I'm going to prove that to you by introducing a silly Silver Age bad guy and killing him off at the end of the story. So, yeah, that's why I kind of have mixed emotions on this one. Um, There were moments in the book where the art was really, I, I don't know, it wasn't bad. It was just the duplication of the art during the duplication process. It like it erased a lot of the lines. And so people's faces were just blobs of color, which especially if you go back and look at it, look at the scene when he's on the bus, when he gets knocked into the bus, people come from around to help him up. And it's just the, the lines have faded and it just doesn't work quite well. And I've seen scans. I have the originals up there in the attic. I didn't go pull them out, but I have seen scans of the originals and they, they look kind of the same. So I'm assuming it's, it was more of when they were first producing this issue, something in the something in the publication process kind of uh, washed out those lines in certain panels. And I don't know, I find that weird. You would think that, you know, I get that for at the time for 1986, but you would think when they are putting together these collections and digitizing them, uh, not only do they digitize them because they're putting out the collection, they also digitize them so they can have them on the digital platforms. I mean, there's a guarantee that if you can't find a digital version of a comic book on the Marvel app or the DC app, it's because they've never been collected into a collection over the last 20 years or so. Because the first thing they do is they digitize them before they, you know, so they can put the collection together. But you would think that during that process, they would look at pages like that and go, oh, wow, look how these lines were really washed out. Let's get somebody in here just to touch that up but they don't. And I find that really kind of weird. Um, one of the big things that I never noticed the first couple of times I read through these six issues back in the eighties and early nineties is that there are a lot of time jumps in each of these issues. You know, by issue number four, it's been a year and a half since the events in issue two take place or took place. Well, in this issue, there's a moment when, when, when Bizarro kisses Lois, she thinks to herself that something to the effect of, great, I've been wanting to kiss Superman or wanting Superman to kiss me or something like that. I've been wanting that to happen for five years now. And now I get this from this weird thing. And so just based on that, this story is five years after the events of issue number two. But when I look at Mike's Amazing World of Comics, when I, when I went to that website to get this synopsis, the, the guy puts notes sometimes on some of the issues. And, and one of the things that he references here is, Lois claims to have been wanting to kiss Superman for five years in this story. However, based on the timeline established in this series, Superman's first public appearance could only have happened three years earlier. Therefore, Lois must be exaggerating the time frame. So I don't know. I don't know that maybe when he refers to the timeline established in the series, maybe that's something that's coming up that will make it more clear that the events happening in a current issue or, or a particular issue happened three years after his first public appearance. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But I find it interesting to, to you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll figure out by issue number six where we're at as far as the timeline is concerned. But just based on that one comment in this issue, it's been five years since Superman made his first public appearance, which would have been an issue number two as Superman. So otherwise, yeah, it was a fun issue. It kind of establishes the idea that this miniseries isn't, 
you know, if they did that nowadays, if they if they did one of these now, and I and they I I haven't read Brian Michael Bendis's Man of Steel, which is I, I'm assuming that's what that is. It was Bendis kind of rebooting Superman for the modern day, and I don't so I don't know what that storyline is, but I guarantee you it's probably one story. Whereas this miniseries so far hasn't been one continuous story. They're not telling one tale. They're telling a series of tales that just are there to establish Superman in this new world. So, and to tell us who Superman is, kind of what he can do, what's changed, what hasn't changed. And, you know, so far the changes that we know of are Superman was technically born on Earth because he was still in the gestation matrix when he left Krypton. He wasn't placed into the rocket as a baby as he was previously. Uh, We know that Superman at this point does not know that he's an alien, neither do Jonathan or Martha. We know that he's not quite as powerful as he was in the Silver Age. And we know that um, Lex Luthor is not a mad scientist. He's a businessman. And, and at the moment, he's not completely bald. Now, I will say this because the story in this issue takes place at least a year and a half after the previous issue in which we got our first full appearance of Lex. While he was balding, In the previous issue, he's now completely bald on the top in this issue. He's got what I call the Lou Grant. Some people refer to it as the Bozo the Clown hair, where it's bald on top, and then he's got hair that rings around the side and his back. So the dude's going bald. I think by the time we get to the main series, which will be Superman issue number one, I believe he's fully bald at that point. But that's some of the stuff we learn or that we have been learning so far in this series. And of course, we also learn that while they have introduced Bizarro Superman into this world, they killed him off as well. So don't expect silliness. It's all dead serious from here on out. I think that's I think that's the point of this issue, which eh, I like, and yet I'm a little disappointed at the same time. I think silliness has a place in serious storytelling. I think you have to mix the humor with the drama I think you can input silliness into a serious story and do it well, and it only helps to make the seriousness bits, the bits that are serious and dramatic, even more serious and even more real. But apparently, we uh, we're not supposed to look forward to any 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 wicked wicked any silliness in this. My brain's going crazy, so I guess I'm going to wrap this up. So. Join me next time as I will look at the final chapter in this Superman post-crisis reboot with Man of Steel, issue number six, which is called The Haunting. And just like issue number five, it also hit the stands in September of 1986. Until then, folks, don't go counting on white dust to cure all that ails you. If anything, it may just turn you into an addict. Bye. Superman or Else is a Stephen or Else production in association with the Superman Super Show. Questions and comments can be directed to the Superman Super Show at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at my Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or, and in return, I'm going to do my very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anyone else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this podcast with a friend. Superman is published by DC Comics and was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Lex Corps scientist Dr. Ting has created a dupe.
I cannot talk, so why am I trying to sing? LexCore scientist Dr. Tang has created After Luther orders the After Luther Luther After Luther orders the creep So let's get into the comic Excel. They could go so totally over over the on high is a man who's swinging through the trees with a big red face and a pants full of bees. Wow, I don't know where that came from. The story in this just... In, in, I don't know what I was talking about earlier. Superman would throw spaceship into the sun. We do the opposite. Throw sun into spaceship. Oh, 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 oh. Superman would punch spaceship. Me do the opposite. Kick it. Thanks, Bizarro. You actually did a good job. Now that you know Bizarro and not Bizarro are same person, I must kiss you to erase your memories. Yeah, how about we do the opposite? I just don't think I can move through life knowing that a guy named Steven did this to me. <laughs>